previously on the prompt. So, are we done? Yeah, apparently, yeah. Like, big time done. We just end like this? Like, like, like you know, we just... Well, no, I'm going to do the wrap-up. Yeah, but no epic ending? Like, like, I don't know, Steven makes a big revelation or something. Steven, make a revelation. Um, I got nothing. So that is it for the prompt. <laughs> Welcome to the prompt. A weekly panel discussion on technology and the culture surrounding Apple and related companies. It is the 20th of June, 2018, and this week marks the fifth anniversary of the three of us podcasting together as a trio. Our original show was called The Prompt, and we're honoring that today by using all of our old sound effects and segments. I'm your host, Stephen Hackett, and I'm joined, as I have been for half a decade, Mm-mm. by Mr. Federico Vitici. Hi. What do you mean we have an old show? We, like... Are we this is not the only doing the show. Prompt? We're doing it. We're not doing the prompt anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> what are you referring to? I don't know. I don't understand. But no, hi, it's weird. How are you? It's some sort of weird time loop today. And of course, Mike Curly. Hello, mate. It's Mike from the prompt. <laughs> Here I am. <laughs> it's nice to talk to you all today. I don't, I don't know how to make my. How can I make my accent stronger? I don't know. Move, move your hands oh, more. I don't know. I'm on the prompt. <laughs> <laughs> is Am that, I good is the pizza? <laughs> is that what the stereotype is like? Is that what you guys imagine me I talk about? <sighs> yeah, but you do talk about pizza a lot, though. Do I? Yeah. Like, okay. we had a conversation in San Jose about the fact that I think you only tried to have pizza once a week or something. Would you say that's... A lot in terms it's a lot of, of pizza. Yeah. conversation. Okay, what's that? I mean? I'm just saying, like, that pizza is prevalent in your life. So you know, sure. Okay, well, yeah. mamma so- mia, something like that. I don't know what you want. It's a me. <laughs> let's uh, let's uh, do the follow up. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, where's your accent? It hasn't. It's still here. No, it, you, still you, here. come on. You go back and listen to that episode one, and you are a very different boy. <laughs> yeah. There's a link in the show notes to the first episode of The Prompt, and uh, <laughs> please don't listen to it, <laughs> but it's there. Everything sounds terrible. Like The content was good, but everything, like the audio quality, the, the, the our enunciation, it's all very bad. But you can go back and listen to it. Um, it is five years on one day we've been recording together, and it is wild to think that The Prompt occupied one year, and then the rest mm-hmm. has been connected, so... We must honor it. It's pretty, pretty wild. And how do we honor the prompt? By doing some follow-up. We have perhaps the most important follow-up we've had in five years. The Teachy Scale has migrated, has grad—I want to say graduated—from a mere Mm. workflow Mm. to a full-scale iOS and iMessage app. Of course. Yep. And it's incredible. Thanks to that deep and open framework, and now you can take full advantage <laughs> of the power of the Teachy Scale. An iMessage. There you go. It's perfect. It was created by Adam, who is at Born to Be Geek with the number two, Born to Be Geek on Twitter. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It is an app on its own. It is an iMessage app as well. It has drag and drop on the iPad, which is like, all right, of course it does, <laughs> and I love that it, it does. It beat Google uh, Docs to it. <laughs> so it's wonderful. I have been using it an awful lot uh mm-hmm. i think we all have really because yes. th- there is nothing better than the tg scale and now you can all uh go ahead and download it for yourself and there's a link in the show notes 
I sent one to a friend on iMessage, a friend who doesn't listen to the show, mm. and they were very confused yeah. as to what was happening. Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, assume everyone knows what it is. That's universal. Oh, Federico, I mentioned the show notes. Federico, where can people find the show notes? Oh, God. Um, so The show notes are this incredible technology that enables us to share uh, text with people who listen to the podcast. Even though the podcast is audio, uh, mm-hmm. we are able, thanks to the show note feature, to share uh, text and hyperlinks uh, on the web on the web page um, for um, the prompt. So the the way that you can find the show notes is you gotta um so now that you have an apple watch and there's webkit on the apple watch here's what mm-hmm. you need to do you need to install watchOS 5 on your watch <laughs> and you need you need to uh call a friend and have this friend navigate uh <laughs> using a web browser um, on a Macintosh computer to relay.fm slash connected uh, slash Which one... Which is confusing, you know, but we, we don't worry about that. <laughs> yes, it's, it's a temporary name. Don't, don't worry about <laughs> it. Slash 198. So you go there and you tell your friend to copy the link. Once the friend has copied the link, the friend needs to open messages on the Macintosh computer. And mm-hmm. he needs to send you a message with the link, with the, with the hyperlink that he copied from the web page. Um, so he mess- the friend uh, messages you the link and here's where you, you come into action. Uh, you grab your Apple Watch, you put it on your wrist, you open the message on your wrist... You tap the link on WatchOS 5, and it'll yep. open in a WebKit uh, mini Safari view on your watch. And that's where you can find the show notes on your wrist. The show notes on your wrist, it's 2018, uh, technology is amazing. So as you listen, as you listen on your HomePod, uh, please don't do this while you're driving your car, it's going to be dangerous. So as yep. you listen uh, through, you know, uh, these magical notes flowing and beaming through the air of your living room, you can just glance at your wrist and tap on links uh, on your watch. I feel like I made a mistake asking that question. No, no. Mm. Uh, I, I've been preparing these instructions for five years. Um, <laughs> finally, somebody <laughs> I was just me. waiting for WatchOS 5 to finally share this Stitchy Tip. Uh, so he started what... the note in Evernote. He had to go back and find it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, that's where you can find them. Have you heard about WorkChat? Oh, God. There has been some debate about how you pronounce the next version of macOS. I know. I know how. How? It's French. It's Mojave. I think it's Bondi. Bondi, I think. <laughs> so we had said, I had said, Mojave with an E. That spread rather quickly, I feel like, uh, to some other podcast that I think one even credited me for like, oh, Stephen told us how to say it. Don't ever take my advice on how to say things. Yeah. Stephen can't say anything. It's true. <laughs> this, is a, this is a problem that me and Stephen have with Ungenius in that uh, it takes some. T- it can sometimes take some time or some very interesting wrangling of things. Uh, yes. I have made a decision. I'm okay. not going to bother. I'm just going to say it however it comes out. Like it's either going to be Mojave or Mojave. I'm just going to say it. I, I, I'm not going to stress over this one. Because I, I can Mojave. never remember it, and then everyone's telling me how to say it, and then everybody tells me to say it a different way. So I'll just go how the wind goes, and however I say okay. the name of the operating system is how I say it. Mm. I think it's Italian. It's Mojave. 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 <laughs> <laughs> That's a, great, a third way to get it wrong. Awesome. I want to talk a little bit about dark mode and 
WebKit and Safari. So there was a thing going around where if a web page didn't set their background color correctly, Safari, while in dark mode on, uh, how did you say it, Federico? Mojave. Mojave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sounds Jamaican, too. It's really just an international Could word. Could be. That it would set the page background as a dark color, where it would default to white otherwise. And this led to some people wondering, can Safari on macOS infer what appearance you're in and then set like a different style uh, on the website? We talked about this last week with Mac Stories, how you have a toggle on the site for a light mode and a dark mode. And it seems like there is a media query, prefers dark interface, but it doesn't actually work in the betas. And then we it came out that that was a private thing and that Apple's uh, may be moving through the standards bodies to like actually have this integrated into WebKit and CSS as like a proper thing and not like a weird Safari-only deal. Um, so right now, at least as it stands today, there's not like an official way to do this, but it seems like one could be coming and I hope it does because I like dark mode, but anytime I go to browse, everything is like, it's like opening a, a browser just facing the sun. Everything is bright and white. And it would be nice to have some, f- for web developers who care about this, like most websites probably don't need to do this, but like a site like mine that's primarily read in Safari, either on iOS or macOS, like it would be nice for me to have that available to my readers. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm hoping that this, becomes an official thing, a supported thing, uh, a public thing, and we can all just kind of move into this new era together where at least some websites have a light and a dark appearance. Yeah, yeah, totally. I uh, I was actually under the impression that um, Apple already submitted a proposal to the standards body to have this media query for uh, dark mode. So I'm surprised that they're still trying to find a solution that everybody can agree upon. So absolutely. I mean, as someone who already has a manual dark mode on, on Mac stories, you can go on the toolbar and there's a button that you can press and turn on dark mode. I would love to offer some kind of preference where it just follows the system behavior and otherwise people can override using the manual option in the toolbar. So yeah, totally. I'm Hopefully this will be done by September. Uh, I don't know um, when these companies get together and try to make these decisions. How long does it usually take? I have no idea. But hopefully within 2018, we'll have a universal preference that everybody can adopt. Yeah. I like the idea of them going through the standards bodies for this because sure, yeah, it is a good idea and it would be good if all web browsers could could use it and there'd be like a universally agreed upon way of doing it. Um, Mm -hmm. And also, you know, it makes sense for if the iPhone and and iOS is going to get a dark mode at some point, which it probably will at some point, um, it it makes sense, I guess, to have it all set out, you know, for everything and doing some and having a standard in place that people can work to, I think is a good idea. And because I would love it, right? Like I use dark modes for many things, including the websites that I use that operate them. And I would love to be able to kind of just set a toggle in Chrome or whatever and just have everything shown up to me uh, with a dark background because that's just my personal preference. It'd be great. Um, and I, I think they'll get there. You know, I think some of these tweets are from like WebKit engineers and they seem like they, they're moving forward this the proper way. Uh, it's not just a problem on Apple devices. Like Windows 10 has a dark mode. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, those Windows users have the same deal in Edge or Chrome on on that side of the fence too. So, I think this would be great for everyone, and so I hope that it gets it gets done properly and not just like a bunch of weird hacks. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Linode. With Linode, you'll have access to a suite of powerful hosting options with prices starting at just $5 a month. You'll be up and running with your own virtual server in the Linode cloud in under a minute, so you'll be ready and raring to go. Linode has hundreds of thousands of customers who are all serviced by their friendly 24-7 support team. You can email them, call them, or even chat over IRC in the Linode community. They know how important it is to help to get you the help that you want so they know that you're going to need it so they want to be able to give it to you in any way possible. They also have a suite of amazing guides and and support documentation as well to give you a reference when you want it. Linode's intuitive control panel will allow you to deploy, boot, resize, snapshot, and clone your virtual servers in just a few clicks. And they feature two-factor authentication as well to help keep you safe. Linode has fantastic pricing options available. They have plans that start at just $5 a month to get a gigabyte of RAM. And they even have high memory plans that start with 16 gigabytes of RAM. As a listener of this show, you can sign up today at linode.com slash connected. You'll be supporting this show and also getting $20 towards any Linode plan when you do. On the one gigabyte of RAM plan, that's four free months. So give it a try. Why not? They have a seven-day money-back guarantee as well, so there's nothing to lose. So once again, go to linode.com, that's L-I-N-O-D-E.com slash connected to learn more, sign up, and take advantage of that $20 credit, or use the promo code connected2018 at checkout. Our thanks to Linode for their continued support of this show and Relay FM. So, in true style of the prompt, let's talk about photos Yay. and photo services. So, Federico, can you tell mm. us, can you give us a breakdown as to what is going on with photos in iOS 12? Because I don't think we spent any time talking about this yet. Tips of Tichi. Sure. Um, so my overall comment, and I'm going to dig into some specific features, but my overall impression is that um, while Apple had some new features and design changes for photos in iOS 12, despite the fact that rumors were saying Apple is going to have a new photos functionalities next year, um, it's still not a major update. There's some nice changes, but uh, if you go back and read what Mark Gurman w- was saying a few months ago about Apple using new AI features for photos, uh, sort of to compete with Google Photos, I think those features still, uh, you know, are still in development, and we're probably gonna see a new new uh, new UI for photos next year. That said, there's some nice. Um, some nice changes that we can cover for photos in iOS 12. The first one is the new For You page. So For You is not a new name in terms of um, Apple applications. And in this case, For You uh, aggregates in photos um, a bunch of different functionalities. So in this single page, you will see um, sharing suggestions, your memories. Memories is not a new feature. Uh, You will see uh, activity for shared albums, which means uh, whether somebody joined a shared album or comments on shared photos and you will also see um, albums or actually groups of photos that you've recently shared with somebody else and I want to talk about sharing because Apple uh, sort of mentioned this feature um, during the keynote Um, it's using a new system and by sharing with other folks using iOS 12 and by talking to some folks at WWDC it is my impression and it is my understanding that actually that Apple is using this new system where um, you don't need to re-upload photos. Um, once you're sharing some items that are already stored in iCloud Photo Library with someone else who's on iOS 12, um, Apple will not re-upload, will not rescan and re-index those photos. It'll just use this, the photos that are 
already in i in iCloud in the you know in the iCloud servers, and it'll just mark them as shared, so that you can share the full resolution version with somebody else instantly. That's why there's no waiting time. That's why there's no uploading. That's why people get the the original photos. Besides, you know, so, some effects that Apple removes for privacy concerns, such as, for example, I think you will not be able to edit the depth map of a portrait photo um, if you receive a portrait picture for someone else, because Apple believes that for privacy reasons, other folks shouldn't be able to alter the blur of the background of a photo. That's super clever and super, you know, of course Apple is doing this. Anyway. Can I ask you a question on that? Because it seems a bit confusing to me. Like my understanding, like the way that Apple collects data is everything's like anonymized, so they can't work out that I'm me. So like how can they work out how my photos can go from place to place? Like it seems a bit confusing. Like how how can your phone know what my photos are from iCloud if it's all kind of like scrambled up in the cloud up there? I think, first of all, when you're sharing photos and you're asked to um, pick a recipient, uh, the, of course, the other person needs to be an iCloud user. Um, but I don't think the, the, the individual photos are anonymized in that way. Um, there's some ways that Apple can say this specific file, even though we're not looking actually at the file, but we have a reference to the file, that means we can share this file with somebody else and we can put it right. in a shared space between these two iCloud addresses. Um, so it's, not, it's still not like, you know, like I don't have, there's not like the Mike Hurley draw. In a, on a server mm. somewhere where all my stuff <laughs> is kept, I don't think you know, like, I don't think it works that way. <laughs> okay, that's good. To yeah. know. But do you know, do you see why it confuses me? It's sure. Like if, yes. If they're not keeping all of my stuff like labeled as me, like how does it get shared? But I guess maybe it's like creating some identifier for the image, which is shared right. with you, and then it's just pulling that down from wherever, like whatever bucket it's all kept in. It just I seems mean, like yeah. some of this stuff. Like I only ever ask questions because they make such. A performance about the privacy mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, then I see this a lot, right? And I understand it. Like they make such a performance about it that when they do do a feature like this, or a Google like feature, it's like, well, how are you doing it then? And like, I think that it's it's important to question it because, it, you know, if they if they make such a song and dance, then I want it to be completely private because that's what they're offering me. Because otherwise, I would just because Google Photos has a feature just like this, right? And they unveiled it like a year or two, a couple of years ago maybe, right, yeah. where I that it would recognize people and automatically share stuff with them if I wanted. And it seems Apple's doing the same, and it's like, well, obviously they're taking different approaches, and what do those look like? So I appreciate so, that. Yeah. So, I mean, of course, I, I don't know the technical details of mm-hmm. how... Uh, can files be specifically, uh, you know, tied to uh, an iCloud user? Um, but... M- I think the moment that you're uploading something to a server, uh, I mean, Apple has your data in this case. Um, Mm -hmm. They may anonymize your data, but your photos are on a server somewhere. Otherwise, they wouldn't be able to sync to another device. Um, That said, the the thing you mentioned about um, sharing with other people, that's the second aspect of this, which is Apple um, made a big deal out of this intelligent sharing, which takes into account, I believe, face recognition, so based on the people that you're... are recognizing photos, but also they take into account the location of a photo and the time of the day to make um, 
an educated guess about the people that you could share a selection of photos with. The idea being that if Mike, Stephen, and I go to a restaurant and I take a bunch of pictures and I go back home and I have pictures of the three of us, photos will say, hey, do you want to share these pictures with Mike and Stephen? Uh, because it looks like you guys were together at lunch. And on, the, on mm -hmm. your end, photos in iOS 12 will offer a share back feature so that once I share an album with you, uh, photos on your end will say, oh, it looks like I may also be able to contribute to this shared album. So let me share back some photos that I have on Mike's device. And same for Steven. The idea being I'm excited that about this feature. It sounds really good. Yeah. What it stops is like the leave the restaurant, stand outside for five minutes and everybody opens airdrop. Right? Like, mm. I, because that's how I feel like my life is like, you know, you can understand. It's like, oh, can you airdrop me those photos? Oh, can you send them to me? Can you send them to me? This just feels like a nicer way to do it where like it's, it's, let, there's less of a requirement for us to be in the same physical space together to get the full resolution image and i think that's kind of great yeah because there's all we've all been in that position right like we have we did it at wbc a shared icloud you know shared album a bunch of people were adding pictures to it but like in the back of my mind i know all those are down resed and that makes me uh, annoyed because i would like full size copies and so uh, if apple is moving things to a world where that's in the past like even if i lose some editing like i totally understand and i'm glad you can't do like depth map editing and the other stuff i, I agree with the decisions there so you, i can't unblur something and then you know see some some incriminating evidence on federico's desk you know i really see a laptop instead of an ipad and i've called him out for using a mac at work <laughs> i understand that um so I'm, I'm excited about it too because like photos are meant to be shared like and if we're all going to use iCloud for all of our stuff, then that should be native. I shouldn't have to figure out how to offload stuff via AirDrop or email or something later to get people uh, their images. Um, so I tried uh, this new sharing suggestion feature with Sylvia. She's still on iOS 11, of course. And I, I don't think the system is actually working for people who haven't updated to iOS 12, obviously. Um, she got this link um, that took her to a iCloud webpage in Safari. Um, and in Safari, she got actually, she got a web preview of the photos that I shared from from my photos app, uh, which is was kind of nice because I never I, I've never seen that kind of web preview for um, shared iCloud photos before. And then she tapped on a download button that was on the web page, and Safari downloaded like a photos.zip <laughs> archive. Perfect. <of laughs> Perfect. Files. I don't think mm -hmm. that's supposed to happen, and I think it, the problem is I'm sharing from iOS 12 to an old system. Um, but I also tried to. Um, open the uh, link that I sent on iMessage in our um, iMessage thread and I got this custom which I think it's, it's what's supposed to happen um, my iPhone opened this sort of custom quick look preview with a grid of photos that looked really really nice uh, so ideally you oh, shouldn't nice. you shouldn't go to a Safari web page and you shouldn't hit the download button you will get this preview and there will be a button that says add these pictures to photos and that's it um, that's cool yeah I, so, I like that a lot 
So, uh, what else? No meaningful improvements to memories that I know of. So the uh, photos is still <laughs> very much behind uh, what the Google Assistant offers uh, in Google Photos. Still suffering from amnesia, right? If it has no memories. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yep, Mike. Yep. Mm-hmm. Thank you. There's a there's a better import flow when you, if you use uh, SD cards and you connect them with the with the dongle to your iPad or to. Does it work on the iPhone? I, I guess it does. Um, I guess. I guess so. Yeah, you all got some progress indicators new icons new labels that make it easy to see which pictures you, you know, which pictures you've already imported and which ones uh, are new and you and you need to store in the photos app there's a, the albums page has been updated uh, now there's a it's organized in media types and there's a you know there's a list of all the kinds of albums that are automatically generated by your device at the bottom of the page stuff like slow-mo or screenshots or I don't know burst all those kind of media types that photos can recognize. Um, mm-hmm. The other big feature is the improved search. So there's a new search page. And finally, you can now search f- uh, for multiple variables or tokens. Um, so you can combine them. Stuff like dog beach 2017. And you will find pictures of your dogs at the beach uh, last year, for example. So you can combine these multiple values into the same search query. What is kind of weird is that you cannot type these um, variables in natural language. So you cannot open the search box and say dogs at the beach in 2017 you need to type a uh. word tap on the suggestion type another word tap on the second suggestion and combine all these pre-made tokens together it's that's not weird. like an actual sentence yeah it's kind of weird <laughs> that's really weird but like i couldn't even type dogs beach i would have to like type one tap it type yes. another tap it at least in beta one let me let me check yeah. out beta two but i i I would be surprised if they changed this. Um, so I'm going to the search box and I'm typing dog beach. And no, because he doesn't know what a dog beach is. Um, so. <laughs> see, that's the problem. I see what's happening. Yeah, you need to tap one by one. That's not elegant, really, is it? But it works. Uh, so once you can choose between recognized um, items or creatures or you know objects, um, you can choose locations, you can choose um, times and days. It it works. Uh, in theory, there's more categories. So for example, um, this is kind of funny. Um, in my photos app, <laughs> there's a apparently there's some top uh, suggestions for categories of pictures. There's dog. There's badger dogs. There's Newfoundland dogs. And finally, there's hot dog. <laughs> I know which one I want. <laughs> the single <laughs> picture of a, of a hot dog, which isn't even a hot dog. It's the burger Mike and I had at Five Guys um, uh, last mm. year. I have no memory of that. Oh, you mean in and out Oof, you're going to make some people real sorry, mad. You just, in and out. You just committed a cardinal sin. No, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm Italian. I'm justified. I'm Italian. Uh, I, I get <laughs> you know, American brands confused. I'm the foreign guy. Please don't be upset. Um, uh, yeah, multiple search tokens. And um, the search page is nice. It combines all these different... Um, for example, you have categories, moments, places, dates, and I suppose at the top, at the very top, people. So yeah, um, it gets the job done, and uh, I don't know if it's still as intelligent as Google Photos, but it appears to be slightly better than last year. And yeah. f- finally, the very last feature, uh, portrait mode 
on compatible devices has been updated with this improved depth map technology. Uh, I need to look into this still. Apple is using this new API called Portrait Segmentation. Um, the description from the developer webpage says that the camera now generates a mask when it detects, detects a person and it intelligently and elegantly separates the person from the scene. And judging from some tests that I've seen, for example, Serenity Caldwell do, and my very informal and non-scientific tests, it appears to be doing better with when it recognizes people in a portrait photo, but not dogs, because dogs are not people. Even though dogs are very good boys and girls, um, they're not people. So uh, when Apple improves their dog recognition technology, that'll be better for everyone. But so far, it seems that portrait segmentation is just for humans, not for dogs. Hot dog mm. rec recognition is mm -hmm. what I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I mean, overall, it sounds good. I mean, it, any improvement to this stuff is always a a welcome thing because it's it's there there's nothing i can do about it right like this is where my photos go like they go into this app and that's just how that is speaking of which should we do uh what what are our photo management workflows these days Stephen? what are you doing <laughs> for photo management i'm just God. interested i've got everything in icloud photo library so every, anything i take with my iphone is just automatically uploaded anything i shoot with my big camera I shoot in RAW, edit on the Mac, and then store you know, high-quality JPEGs in photos. I got a bunch of albums. I have some smart albums, and uh, I've, been, I've been pretty happy with it. In fact, about six months ago, I, uh, or whenever they updated the Google Uploader for the Mac, the new one is like super crashy and gross, and I just sort of quit uploading Google Photos like six months ago, and I'm just doing iCloud. I have... On my iMac Pro, I have it set to download all the full res files, so those files get backed up with Time Machine, Backblaze, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, so yeah, that's I'm all in on Apple. I have many islands going on. Um, I have iCloud Photo Library, right? Like everything just is taken on my phone. It goes up into iCloud Photo Library. I still use Dropbox with Federico's Hazel scripts. God, really? Yeah. Oh wow, is this still working? Most yeah, mostly because. I set it up in like 2015 or whatever and it yeah. just works right so like why stop it I have a, like a terabyte of Dropbox space or something which is just massive right like I'm I'm, I'm so I'm I use like 10 or 12 percent of my Dropbox space so I think I just let it keep going and it just keeps going so every time I open the Dropbox app on my iPhone or whatever it just starts sucking up some photos and it just does it periodically right and so they're just there so it's just a, an extra place and then that gets uh, synced up with Backblaze, right? So, like, that's kind of... I think that's probably my main route into how they get kind of put into a, a backup system as well as Time Machine or whatever, which is going on with the photo library. So I've got a bunch of backups. Um, up until today, I thought I was also using Google Photos. Until today? Yeah, it like turns out that this stopped uploading in January 2017 because ah. I was having... Um, my uploads going from the Mac and it seems like the Google Photos uploader isn't open anymore. So like, I guess that just doesn't work, but it's fine because I never use it, right? Like it was always yeah. just like another place where I could do searches, but I never ever do it. 
like my searches they happen based upon my memory of where the picture was taken or whatever right like it's i i found myself the reason that i haven't noticed in six months that google photos isn't backing up anymore is because i haven't tried to search for an image in google photos in over six months so i'm kind of just like whatever like i'm not going to bother trying to fix that icloud and dropbox does everything that i need personally i'm just using icloud really um I keep all my photos in iCloud Photo Library. It's been working great for me. Um, I don't do any custom <laughs> script anymore because I don't have a Mac that runs scripts. And of course, um, I don't have a Mac Mini that can run scripts in the background because Apple is not making those either. Um, so I'm just using <laughs> iCloud and I'm also using Google Photos as a backup, but I don't particularly care about it. So I have this to do in, in things that says upload pictures to Google Photos like twice a week, uh, but I'm on the free tier. Uh, so it's not the, it's not the original quality. Um, I just keep it as a as a you know as a backup because it's free and because if I don't know iCloud explodes um, I have this backup but I feel pretty confident in iCloud and never had a single problem um, of course now I'm gonna have problems because I said it on a podcast mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah I, you know looking back at a few years ago where we were trying a new photo service photo management service every every couple of weeks things have really changed I mean we used to have Loom and Everpix and what was the other one um, that got acquired and kind of disappeared for a couple of months? Dropbox Carousel? No, Carousel too, but no, that's that system that that service that um, it disappeared for a couple of months and it kind of held people's pictures hostage and then it came back. Oh. But it was a quiet photo, photo life. No, it wasn't ever something with... Fo- picture life. Pass the picture boy in the chat life. picture life. Oh, my God. Picture life. Uh, it, yeah, that was a long time ago. These services, uh, I mean, they've been essentially replaced by iCloud and Google Photos. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know people that use Windows computers and devices, what they use. But, um, yeah. Probably Google Photos. Probably Google Photos. Probably. Yeah. Quick piece of follow-up. Thanks to Kate in the chat room. Uh, I said I haven't searched for an image in six months. It's 18 months because it was January 2017, January 2018, right? As I mentioned, it's when the the images stopped backing up. So it's been 18 months since I tried to use Google Photos for a search. So I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> Don't need it. All right. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at FreshBooks. FreshBooks know how important it is to help you make smart decisions for your business. That is why they simplify tasks like invoicing, expenses tracking, and getting paid online. Because of all of this, FreshBooks has dramatically reduced the amount of time it takes for their customers to deal with their paperwork. FreshBooks have worked out that they can save you hundreds of hours with their cloud accounting software because it's so easy to use. And they've done this for their over 10 million customers. FreshBooks has a thing called projects, which isn't something that I talk about very much, but this allows you to share files and messages with clients, contractors, employees. So within FreshBooks, you can set all of this up. Like as well as where the invoices go, you can also have information being shared backwards and forwards with the people that you're working with. So then everything lives in one place. You've got all the context that you need right there, all the conversations, all of the files, all the invoices. It's all just happening in FreshBooks. It's so simple. And then when it comes time to create an invoice and send it out to the person that you're working with, 
FreshBooks make it so simple. Their tools are really easy to use and you don't have to play those games of working out if people have seen their invoices or not because it's all listed right there. It's very, very easy to keep track of. If you're listening to this show you and you ever send invoices to anyone, no matter how few, and you've yet to try out FreshBooks, please give it a go because it's awesome. They're offering an unrestricted 30-day free trial to connected listeners with no credit card required. All you have to do is go to freshbooks.com connected and enter connected in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Our thanks to FreshBooks for their support of this show and Relay FM. Federico, you mentioned that iOS 12 Beta 2 is out, and I had uh, a few questions to ask of you about Beta 2, uh, and also I've seen some stuff going around online that I wanted to run through, like a couple of little changes which seem cool. Uh, one of them, which is one that I cannot believe has taken until now to, to fix, iPhone-only apps no longer appear on the iPad in the iPhone 4 size, <laughs> yeah. when multiplied by 2x, it's now like in the iPhone 6 size instead. So still not right up to date, uh, but is looking a little bit better, looking way less squished. Um, again, like this is one of those things where like, yeah, I'm sure not a lot of people use it, but for the people that do, why on earth did it take this long? Why <laughs> is it still a feature though? Like. Uh, yeah, do, agreed. Do people really use iPhone apps on an iPad? Well, uh, okay, so the I mean, image this is that, like, that this I'm is linking like to... much, much worse version of Project Marzipan. <laughs> iPhone apps <laughs> on an iPad. <laughs> this is terrible. Well, I, I will just say, yeah, I never do this, but the, the one that, I'm, that I've linked to here uh, from a guy called Said on Twitter who found this feature, he's the first person that I saw reporting it, he's, he's using Instagram, and it's like, yeah, okay. Right, like, sure. If you want, if you if you want to look at Instagram on your iPad, that's all you I got. Mean, you can use the website, but yeah, I yeah, get it. The website, the website is not very good. I don't think you can view stories on the website, for example. Yeah, you can. I think mm, you can, can actually. You? Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it's terrible, but I think you can. Hmm. Oh I'm yeah. Okay. Sure. Well, yeah. No, you. You're right. You can. Oh, it's not good, and there was a lot of audio playing in my ears. It's not good. It's not good. Yeah, I know. But it's in theory. But yeah, I get it. What some people, you know, that single app that is still not available. Like, I get it. Um, still, terrible feature. Um, I don't know why Apple keeps it around. Um, and I saw you talking very happily last night about the speed of interaction with notifications now. Mm, yeah, it's impressive, really. Um, uh, there was this. I don't know if it was an artificial delay or if it was a technical problem, uh, but now when you press down on notifications on the on the cover sheet and the lock screen, um, they now almost um, morph from uh, you know they transform from the the little notification preview into the expanded version, and it's it takes it's it, it's instant and it feels so nice because you press down and you know the preview pops open and. It's even better if you're pressing down on a notification that is a message because it means you will open a reply screen and the keyboard comes up immediately. Um, so if you check out the video that I posted on Twitter, you can see a Slack notification that opens a, a message composer to send a reply. The keyboard comes up immediately and it's so nice. And the same is true for iMessage. The same is true for notifications that load custom previews such as Carrot Weather. Um, I'm really happy about this and I'm also really Really happy about the fact that when you expand an iMessage notification, you can now do tapbacks uh, from the notification itself. Oh so yeah, That's if you want to, if you want to send a thumbs up or a aha 
to someone else, you can now do so from the lock screen. Um, honestly, there should be a thanks tap back. There should be more of them. In there general. should be more of yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. So I use uh, them a lot. Like we all do, right? I'm a I'm a big convert of the tap back. I, at first, I thought it was kind of silly, and it took me a while to get to use them. Um, if you don't know what we're talking about, this is that thing in messages where you can like double tap on a message, and it pops up those little options. You can put like a heart or a thumbs up or a thumbs down on, on like attached to a message and iMessage. Uh, I use them a lot. I mean, honestly, what I would prefer is them to just straight up rip off Slack's uh, emoji reactions yes mm. agree that's what i would prefer for them to do rather than just to add other things like just let me put emoji on messages like it would be really good i think that many many social networks and apps like t- conversation apps have ripped off this feature for good reason uh because it's really good i like that a lot on slack and, and i think that apple should look at doing something like that for, i mean stickers are great yes but sometimes it's just way cleaner and more simple to just use an emoji. Um, so I yeah. would love to see that. Yeah. Uh, there's also some splash and welcome screens for screen time and app limits, which mm. kind of mm-hmm. go into talking about this a little bit. And this is just allowing me to segue into asking Federico, what have you been using this screen time and app limits? And yes. what has been your, because you're the only one of the three of us that's running the beta yet. I'm, I'm going to ask you if it's safe for me to install. Oh, okay. We got to, got to change that. Mm. Well, we'll see. I'll, we'll get to that in a second. But I want to know what your experience has been like with those two features. It's been interesting. So um, in the in beta one, uh, screen time was kind of slow to load um, because I have two devices and I could tell when I was opening the screen time page in settings that it was um, pinging the network to load data for the other device. So there was this delay when, when opening screen time. And there's still some delay in beta two, but it's faster than before. Um, I set a limit for the social networking category of apps of... Uh, one hour and 45 minutes every day. No more social that just uh, a little less than two hours, basically. Um, it's, what I'm, it's what I'm shooting for. And it's been interesting because it's, um, you get a notification when you're approaching your limit time. It says you got five more minutes of social networking <laughs> uh, that you can do. And um, it's been it's been fascinating to see just how frequently I reach for the tweetbot icon on my phone and on my iPad. Even when I'm doing just normal things, like I'm writing an article and I need to take a break for 30 seconds because I'm drinking a glass of water or something, and I open tweetbot. Like those br- extremely brief moments of downtime... Um, I just instinctively reach out for Tweetbot or Instagram on my phone. Um, And having the limit and the full screen message that says, you've reached your limit, and you can override that. There's a button that says, basically, I don't care. It doesn't say, I don't care. It says, ignore limit. Might as well be, I don't get. I I I don't care. care. (laughs) Just let me in. Um, Let me rot my brain, gosh darn it. Uh, it's super easy to ignore the app limit, but still seeing the message is a reminder that it's basically, you know, Gray would say, uh, past you saying, uh, oh, well, uh, really, I set this limit and now I feel kind of bad because mm-hmm. I made this decision and now what am I, what am I doing here? Uh, so that's been working quite well for me uh, but I've been in the situation where I'm texting you or texting John and be like so what's going on on Twitter today 
uh, and just you know, it's yeah. It's so strange. I, I think that this isn't going to help you ultimately in the long run. Where like you're setting these limits, and then you're just like, "Give me that fix, man! Give me the fix! What's happening?" <laughs> <laughs> no, I just mean like if something, for example, um, one of my articles got uh, linked on Daring Fireball the other day, and John was like, "Did you see this on Twitter?" I was like, "Oh no." Thanks. <laughs> I had no idea. Uh, so just being, uh, I should have like a Twitter butler, uh, someone who's who searches Twitter for things that are of interest to me and gives me a, a, an off Twitter summary of things that I may be interested in checking out because my when my app limit is on. So that's a, people would like to apply for that job. How do they do it? They can send a resume to Stephen. Mm-hmm. Oh no! Uh, uh, with the Twitter Butler for Tichi, it's the TBT, the Twitter Butler for Tichi. That's what mm-hmm. it stands for. Hashtag TBT. If you want, if you would like to apply, just send out a tweet with the hashtag TBT, <laughs> and that's how you apply for this job. It's very easy to do. <laughs> um, so, is Beta Two good for me to put on my iPhone? Yes, I think so. Um, I mean, uh, are you... I mean, are you going to travel soon? Probably. Uh, You're always traveling. Mm. I think it's fine. I mean, I traveled from the US back to Italy with Beta 1. And as long as you reboot your phone every couple of days, I think you're going to be totally fine. I mean, I expect that I'll be on beta 3 before I go anywhere again. Right? Like, I expect mm. probably another beta to drop before I need to travel anywhere. Honestly, so. I uh, I don't want to be the guy that on a podcast says, you're totally fine with the beta, you should put the beta, and then something happens, and I'm the guy who told you to put the beta on your main phone. But I can mm-hmm. tell you from my personal experience that it's been totally okay, and actually it's been better than iOS 11 um, in terms of performance and battery life and just general stability. Um, Wait, your performance on the beta so far, including battery life, has been better than your performance than iOS 11 was or from yes. the beta? <laughs> yes, totally. Oh. No, 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 from iOS oh. 11. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's so <Okay>. much better. <laughs> That's so weird. Okay, fine. Yeah, I mean... Maybe I'm going to do it. Yeah. Uh, I, maybe what I'm going to do it. would suggest is do not get anywhere close to, you know, anywhere near the watchOS 5 um, beta. Oh, I never... I've never ever installed a watchOS beta. Yeah, yeah. that seems like a... Recipe for disaster. Yeah, it's. Uh, um, I've been running into some really fun problems, such as um, the workout app not counting calories anymore during a workout, or showing me the wrong. I can't BPM. believe you actually installed five WatchOS five, considering how important it is to you to get that tracking information these days. Yeah, never again. I, I made a terrible mistake, and uh, <laughs> I actually told Sylvia about this. Like, did I tell you what I did? Just like no, what you've done. So I put the watch OS beta on my watch, and so she was like, "What's the problem? Don't you always put beta betas on your devices?" And then I explained that there was a bug with the workout app and not counting calories, and basically forcing me to stop my workout and resume the workout all the time. And she just said, "Well, there you go. You're stupid." So fair enough. <laughs> that's that's. I mean, fair enough. She's right. I was yep. stupid. So, <laughs> She's so now, right. <laughs> I mean, she has a point. So never again. Never again. Watch us beat us. There um, was no um, shortcuts app yet. We were hoping the shortcuts app would show. It still may. 
Um, mm. But nothing yet. I was wondering, though, because you can set up Siri shortcuts. So I was wondering if you have set any up yet and if you're using them. I have some of them on my... I mean, just the basic ones, the you know the custom phrases. Um, actually, even added one a new one today. So, I have in my show, I have five custom okay. shortcuts. Um, and now the page is not loading, which is interesting. Um, so anyway, <laughs> oh yeah, there we stable. go. Okay, I got uh, from the top coffee time, which uh, turns on a scene uh, that uh, turns on my coffee maker. So I have this device, which is a Wemo switch um, that is connected to my espresso machine. And before people ask, it's a Saeco Poemia coffee machine. You can find it on Amazon. I know people are going to ask. Um, so I will give you the link, Mike or Steven. I will find the link and give it to you because people are going to want to know which one I use. I found it. Um, okay, there you go. It's, is it silver? Uh, no, I'll, it's black. I'll, no, I'll, I need to give you the link. Um, right. Anyway... Coffee time triggers a home kit scene that, uh, so I don't have to say, uh, Siri, turn on the coffee maker. I can just say coffee time and it works. Uh, actually, I tested this today and it works with the HomePod already, even though the HomePod oh. gives me an error message that says personal requests need to be enabled on this device, but actually it triggers the scene. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for your your error is misplaced in this case because you actually did what I asked you to do. Is there a beta for the HomePod? No, Does the HomePod no. get updated with your phone? Nope, it doesn't. It just it just kind of knows about it this. Just kind of well because it's the I think it's going back to the phone and the phone knows what right. to do, but the HomePod that says, "Oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing here," so it just gives you this error. Um, show me the review. It's my second shortcut. It opens the review.md uh, markdown document for my iOS 12 review in Dropbox, uh, which I thought was <laughs> I like was, that was fun. Is like, that show the me place the you want to open it? What do you? Like, no, why? no, but it's the only one that supports shortcuts right now. And so ah. it's like I was playing ah. with it. I was like, well, I mean, sure. Uh, no, nah, dude, just write that thing in notes. You'll be fine. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, stop my timers. Opens workflow and the um, stop timers workflow that I have. So whatever is running mm. um, in toggle uh, stops the toggle timer. Um, you move back to toggle? Uh, that's a different topic for ah, another time. Gotcha. Save it for next week. Um, check my links. Opens this uh, note that I keep in Apple Notes. Um, it's a general storage place for links that i come across and it's actually called link storage um so just random links of things that i need to check out at some point and i made a shortcut that says check my links so it opens the note and finally text the guys which opens the iMessage thread that uh the three of us and john Voorhees shared together so we can talk about uh you know our jobs and what making fun of john's memoji um you know, the usual. Um, the usual. The everyday stuff. The everyday stuff. Uh, so text the guys opens our iMessage thread. And these are my five shortcuts. I expect to be setting up a ton of these once I get the shortcuts app. Is this um, is it something you feel like you're playing with a lot because it's new? Or are you already finding that it is beneficial to have these available to you via voice? 
the the coffee one and the timer one and the um, iMessage one are, are these are useful. The other two I just set them up because I was playing with it. So I don't think I have a good grip on whether this is actually useful or not. And it's also kind of like the automation that I want to set up will be useful once I get the shortcuts up and once I get, you know, full support with the HomePod yep. and the Siri watch face. Right now, and there's people saying, no, oh, shortcuts are already changing the way that I interact with my phone. I can kind of believe that, but also I don't think we've seen the real potential of this yet because, first of all, apps need to reconsider how they integrate with the basic Siri shortcut stuff. So the user activity stuff and the Siri kit intents, um, what we see today is a, is a super small glimpse of the things we'll see in September with actual support from developers and the shortcuts app on our devices. So right now, sure, maybe a couple of them are kind of useful, but also I know that I'm just setting them up because it kind of works, but it's not the real deal right now. Yeah, cool. All right, so that's beta 2. We'll find out next week if I've installed it. Um, I, I think I will. St- I'm more inclined to be on the dev track than the public beta track anyway, because I figure if I'm going to do it, I at least want to have the most up to date features. But we'll see. We'll see. All right. Today's show is also brought to you by our friends over at Eero. With Eero, you never need to worry that your Wi Fi isn't fast enough to stream movies or download files because Eero has created the Wi Fi setup of dreams. It is fast and reliable throughout your entire home. The second gen Eero includes a third 5 gigahertz radio, making it twice as fast as ever before. Whatever your Wi Fi needs, Eero will blanket your entire home in a fast, reliable connection. The Aero device sits flat on any surface. You just plug it into the wall with the included power adapter and you're ready to connect your Aero either with Ethernet or wirelessly. And then the included thread radio as well means that you can connect low power devices like smart home devices, locks, doorbells and stuff like that straight to the Aero and it's got a nice stable connection between all of that. They also have the Aero beacon which is this tiny little thing that plugs straight into the wall and it just it's there in the wall you just from the the plug socket it has a night light built in so you can plug it in and, and light, like it has an ambient light sensor so you can light the floors of your home as well which is just a nice little add on but what the Aero beacon does is expands your wi-fi connection to any room so you don't have to move to a different part of the house to get the internet speed you want the beacon is what helps extend the wi-fi throughout your entire home then they have the Aero app which allows you to control the network and it's so simple to create guest network you can get hold of support in seconds it's super super simple now steven please tell me something that you love about your aero setup at home so i've got i think most people know i have an office at home that's in the backyard and before the aero my phone if i was streaming audio like on a phone call it would drop on the way to the office so i'd have to like get in the office and then call the person back. But Eero's coverage is so good. I've got one in the office and one actually at the back of the house that the phone just switches between the two of them. And I don't run into any problems now if I'm doing something, you know, with data uh, as I sort of walk across the yard. This seems like a silly thing, but it was so annoying, like multiple times a week and Eero took care of it for me. 
You can get your own Eero system, including one second gen Eero and two beacons for just three ninety nine. This is everything you're going to need to get started. And you don't have to wait weeks to get a hold of it either. Listeners of this show can get free overnight shipping to the US or Canada when you go to Eero.com. That's E-E-R-O.com and use the promo code CONNECTED. That is Eero.com with the code CONNECTED for free overnight shipping. Our thanks to Eero for their support of this show and Relay FM. So I think it's about time for our weekly picks, right? Our weekly segment, the weekly picks (laughs) that we do here on The Prompt every single week. Weekly picks. I'm going to start. I've picked three things today. We're going to do this round robin, of course. Uh, And they're very different things. And the first thing that I want to talk about is an iOS game called Pocket Run Pool. Um, It is a wonderful game by the amazing independent game developer, Zach Gage, who is responsible for Flip Flop Solitaire, Really Bad Chess, and now Pocket Run Pool is another uh, outing like this. It is a pool game. But like every Zach Gage game, it has a fresh take on a known game type. So, for example, in Pocket Run Pool, you're not trying to, like, go up the scale in pool to, like, either get for the higher point balls just by looking at the color of them or you're not playing against anyone. What happens is every ball has a number attached to it and the pockets have multipliers and they go from, like, 2 to 10, I think, and it goes around the table. And basically what you have to do is score the highest score, so really you need to hit every single ball into the 10 times multiplier pocket to get the maximum score. That's the standard game. Then there are different game modes. There's a high-stakes one where you get different uh, conditions that are added to the game, and you bet money. Like, not real money. Well, it actually can end up being real money, but you bet credits, which you can then use in-app purchase for to get more credits. And if you do a remove ads, you get a bunch of credits or something. Um, and they also have an instant tournament where every day there's like, um, you can go into an instant tournament where they just set a table and you have to just try and score the highest you can. And there's winners for that. Um, I love this game. Uh, for a few weeks, <clears throat> I was like top in the world at the standard mode. Just going to say no bragging uh and i'm up there now still because i have um you can the maximum score you can get is 800 like that's so you've you've hit every ball into the 10 times multiplier and you've not lost any lives i did that twice so my top scoring game center was listed as 802 and uh, a couple of weeks after the game launched zach gage tweeted oh i can't believe people have done this and i was in i was like oh that's me so i like this game a lot and i'm good at it as steven knows i'm very good at uh ios based pool games <laughs> it's true what's the one that we play all the time well okay so we we used to play game pigeon which is an i uh, an iMessage game and we played the the game pigeon pool game for many months and uh, steven never beat me you're very good at so it so now now uh, we play, if Steven ever instigates a game with me, we play Battleship, which I'm very yes. bad at. So uh, I have noticed over the last few months that whenever Steven sends me a game, it's always Battleship, never pool anymore. Yeah, it is. Weird. But that's a fun app, though, the Game Pigeon. I like it that. It is fun. Yeah. But it's not a weekly pick. It's not a weekly pick. Well, not so yet. Ignore that. Forget I ever said it. It's trash. No, it's, no, it's really good. <laughs> So that's my first pick, Pocket Rumple. All right. So I'm up next. And um, my my first weekly pick is Lear, which I believe is French for to read, I think. Um, 
It's an RSS client, and it's one of the best ones on iOS. Um, honestly, if you're looking for a powerful RSS reader on iOS that supports all the major services these days, there's two options for you. One of them is Firefeeds, and the other is Lear. And Lear, I like it because it's got the iOS 11 design style that looks really nice on both the iPhone and iPad. And recently, the developer of Lear took you know, inspiration from Fiery Feeds and uh, the old Fever self-hosted service to implement a feature called Hot Links, which Fiery Feeds also has, and Calm Feeds, which is uh, the opposite. So with Hot Links, you, it's a way, sort of like Nuzzle, but for RSS, to see a summary of the links that everybody is talking about in your subscriptions, um, and you get this view where you can see the, the actual link and the articles that mention the link. Um, and column feeds is a way to determine which websites that do not publish often you want to see in this view. So, for example, uh, at Mac Stories, we may publish a couple posts per day. And if a, two items per day fits your definition of a column feed, you will see Mac Stories in here. Or, I don't know, Six Colors or Daring Fiber, you know, these blogs that don't have like The Verge, like 25 articles a day, uh, you will see them in this view. So these are two convenient ways to um, sort of break down your subscriptions into different types uh, that are not necessarily based on folders. Um, also, I like the the fact that um, Lear looks nicer than Fiery Feeds, um, and it's got the drop bar on the iPad, I think on the iPhone too, so it kind of, um, again, inspired by Bear in this case, you know, you can pick up multiple articles in your subscription list, and you can drop them on this floating bar that appears at the bottom of the screen, and once you drop them there, you can take action, of course, on those. Mm. Um, you should take action, always take action. You should action. always take action, that's a reference. Um, you can copy them, you can share them, you can uh, mark them all as red at once. Um, so that's also another interesting feature. The only problem maybe with Lear that I know Steven mentioned before is that the text view is kind of janky. Um, I, I don't think the text extraction feature is as good as Fiery Feeds or others, but um, overall... Lear looks really nice. The hot links and calm feeds features are really convenient. And uh, if you haven't looked at Lear in a in a while, because I, I think I wrote about this a few months ago on Maxois, uh, it's worth a look again. So that's my my first pick. Uh, mine is going to be uh, a Mac app that I use almost every single day. Uh, it's a free app written by Marco Arment called Forecast. And if you edit podcasts, this is admittedly a smaller target than a pool game. Uh, but if you edit podcasts, it's a tool worth having. So you can export away from something like Logic and drop it in, and it will convert it to MP3. You can set the bit rate. It's multi-threaded, so if you have something like an iMac Pro, for instance, it's very fast because it, it splits that out over all the, all the possible cores. And you can manage your chapters. So the way that I edit, uh, I drop markers in Logic for all the chapters, and then I name them in Logic, and that gets transferred via the WAV file into forecast. But if I, for instance, want to set chapter art or have a link in the chapter name or, or you know, if I made a typo in Logic want to fix it, I can do all of that in forecast and then save the MP3 out to my uh, to my drive, you know, to upload to the to the server or whatever. So it's one of those things that you don't need this to, to produce a podcast, but if it fits into your workflow, it makes things a... Uh, 
a lot nicer and uh, a lot quicker than dealing with Logic's MP3 export, which can be a little buggy sometimes. So I was excited to play with this in the beta. And like I said, it's something that I use every single day. Yeah, I do too. I love forecast. Um, it, even just the speed of the MP3 encoding makes it even like even if I have a show that doesn't have chapters in it, I'll still always run it through forecast because it's so much quicker than putting than having Logic do the MP3 encoding. Yeah, so it's really really mm-hmm. great. Am I next? Uh, yes. yes, you are. Oh, something's happened though in the document. I mean, I should be next, right? Why am I all the way you down should. here? What have you done, Mike? I don't know. I didn't do we it. Just, just follow the doc. Oh, gosh. Something. No, I am following the doc. And it's Federico. Yeah. yeah. It's but, a it's a interior round robin, so it rotates each time we go around. Jeez, is, what are you doing to us? This is All not right. the way it's supposed to be. So I'm, This I'm isn't how next. round robins work. Yeah, it's what, so it seems like it. My second pick is Codex. Codex is uh, is like... A, a lighter version of Sublime Text for iOS. It's a text and code editor for the iPhone and iPad that has been modeled after Sublime Text, which is a popular editor for Mac and Windows. And Chrome, I don't know. Mac and Windows is what I'm going to say. Linux, maybe? I don't know. Um, it's got all the features that you know from Sublime Text, except plugins. So you have... L- extremely customizable keyboard shortcuts. You can go into the settings and customize everything that the app can do. Uh, You have features such as multiple cursors. This is one of the best features from Sublime Text that I remember. Back in in the day when I used to use a Mac for work, uh, there was a period of time, sort of like a year, I think, that I used to write in Sublime Text, and I actually made my own plugins for Sublime Text. That that was my first... um, my first experiments with JSON, uh, you know, and writing... Snow? Uh, yes. I experimented with JSON, uh, <laughs> Mike, um, which is not creepy at all. <laughs> Multiple... <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I was, uh, I was JSON curious, so that's why I wrote my plugins. Um, Multiple... <laughs> You can you can place multiple cursors in the text editor, uh, which is really useful if you're doing things like, I mean, if you're editing code and you want to change a character on multiple lines, uh, but also if you're writing prose and markdown, uh, for example, you may want to turn a list into an, an ordered list. So you can use multiple cursors to add multiple asterisks on different lines. You also can have multiple selections, which is useful because if you want to replace a word and you don't want to, I don't know, for example, you don't want to use uh, regular expressions to search for the same word in, in the entire document, you can just highlight a word and then say, highlight all the different, um, uh, all the repetitions of this word in the same document, and then you can act upon them all at once. Um, you have a built-in find and replace with rejects, if you want to get dirty and write your own regular expressions to search for something. You have commands, such as select the next occurrence of this selection or find other you know the the one that i mentioned find other occurrences of the same selection you you have shortcuts on the ipad you have an external keyboard to open and close the current document and codex is actually taking advantage of the ios 11 document browser so that you can open any text file with any syntax from any other location from the files app which is really convenient because this lets me for example um save a text file into working copy 
which is my GitHub client on iOS, and then use Codex to edit in Markdown um, just by opening the working copy location and selecting a text file. Um, you have a minimap, just like Sublime Text on the right side of the screen, there's a minimap that shows you the structure of the entire document and it follows your scrolling position. So it updates in real time. Um, really, if you write code on, on an iPad, or if you're crazy enough to want to edit Markdown or HTML, um, you know, if, you, if you're writing for the web and want to have a code editor to do that, uh, which sounds crazy, but believe me, kind of makes sense once you use it. Uh, Codex, I think, is the best option on iOS right now. And I'm pretty sure that it's still free, which is crazy because the guy that makes the app just wanted to have a sublime text um, counterpart for himself. And he just kind of released it on the App Store. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's awesome. Uh, it's Codex with a K. Um, so that's my second pick. What are you using it for? Uh, really, it's awesome for editing Markdown. When, For example, when somebody um, sends me like a Word document for an interview and I select a text from the Word document and I paste it in a text file, usually there's a bunch of weird characters that are still in the mm -hmm. document. So I can use rejects or I can use multiple selections to clean up the document manually. Um, so that's really useful. But also just to edit, you know, um, when there's something that is syntax, syntax heavy, Lots of links or lots of lists, lots of formatting going on. Uh, I prefer to do this in an actual code editor than in something like Ulysses, which does weird things to my markdown. That's an app I had no idea existed on yeah. iOS. Yeah, I feel like Federico, <laughs> your picks are like they're good, but like so far I've been pretty like skill. I've never heard of either of the applications that you picked today, so I that, guess that's pretty good. I guess that's what this this weekly segment this is, is here for. This is why we do the segment every week. Um, yep, it's every it's every week, every five years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's how it works. It's a good. That's the most ultimate round robin. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Steven, you're up for some reason. I'm going to pick Solver. So this is a, a great app for both Mac and iOS, and it uses iCloud Sync. So you can have a document open that you're like working on your Mac, and then you need to reference it later on iOS or vice versa. It's all there all the time, which is really great. And it's it's like a mix between a calculator and a spreadsheet. So I use it a bunch for work, and I'll do something like I'll have an amount, and then I need to deduct several amounts from it. And in a spreadsheet, you could just go out to the cell next to it and say, okay, you know, this expense is Federico, this expense is Mike, this expense is John. But in Solver, you can do that just as text. So, you know, you can do like 100 minus 50 and then in parentheses, Mike, minus 18, parentheses, Federico. So it's an easy way to like visually parse what you're doing. And it does some parsing with some colors and some layout stuff to make it really easy. It's, you know, it's not the most powerful calculator app out there, but... I don't need that. Most of the time, I just need something sort of like quick with some notes attached to it. And so Solver has really become something I use on a very regular basis in sort of like the administration side of of uh, Relay FM. And uh, it's pretty awesome. So podcast uh, editing and calculating so far as where, where my picks live. I'm picking a feature of an application. <laughs> mm. uh, I'm going to pick Spark 2's team features. This is something okay. we spoke about uh, a few weeks ago about Spark 2 and they, they updated the app to add a bunch of team email sharing stuff. Um, on the whole, I do not like Spark the application. Um, I don't like the design. Uh, I, li I love the design on the Mac. It looks nice and professional on the Mac. 
not so much on iOS that still has this weird UI that I'm not a big fan of. Yeah. Um, I don't like, I, I like that they have a bunch of customization options, but don't have great ways of surfacing them. Like, for example, if I swipe on a message, I can only do a select amount of actions, where what I would really like is to pop up a menu with all of the possible actions, right? Like, I can have this on airmail, but you can't do that. Um, it has a bunch of things in it that, like, just general UI weirdness in places. Like, sometimes I think things are really slow. Um, I hate the fact that you can't swipe on the full left edge to go back anywhere. All it does is just swipe through your emails, which nobody wants. Um, there's a bunch of weird things this application does. But I have switched to Spark 2 for my email because the email sharing stuff is unbelievable and has changed the way that I work. Being able to share email directly with my uh, with our assistant, with my sales assistant, has changed the way that we work. We were typically either like, I would forward something to her and I would go into Slack and be like, can you look at this email? Or like, give her some comment and be like, oh, I sent this email to you. Or create a PDF and share it in Slack. But now, I just share the email directly and type a comment. I don't need to add any context because the context there all in line. And then she will get future emails in that chain. We can talk about them. Then I can say, hey, can you fill out the spreadsheet that's attached to that and send it back to me? And she could just fill it out and then upload it straight into Spark. I can take it, attach it to the email and send it. Like, it is just, to, it's broken down some like, frustration barriers that we'd had in the way that we were communicating about the things that we were receiving i absolutely love it like it we both love it like we're like so in on it um and i'm huge thumbs up from me i will take the things that i get that i'm because again i've never as i've said many times there is no perfect no email apps are good right like there is always a problem they're all bad they're all bad in their own way and the way that Spark 2 is bad is different to the way that Airmail, to, Airmail is bad. But Spark <laughs> has features that are really good that other apps don't have. So I'm all in on Spark 2 for now. Um, I just wished that they would make the iOS app look as clean and professional as the uh, Mac app does. Like, it's just simple stuff. Like, the, the apps don't look that vastly different. But they do look different. Am I wild on this one? Do you guys agree with me on this? Yeah. No, I think that makes sense. I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Like, there's just some weirdness about... Like, I can't even explain it, but yeah, just for some reason, the iOS app feels like a toy in its design, the but the Mac app feels professional in its design. Sometimes the iOS version feels like I'm reading a PDF instead of doing email <laughs> i don't know how to describe it it doesn't <laughs> feel like a, it doesn't feel like i'm managing stuff feels like i'm dealing with the pdf viewer which i hate of... that splash screen too right okay. so you know when you open an application <laughs> yes. right and you get that what is that screen that's got a name to it right when what is that called when you see a screen before while the app's loading like there's a, there is a partic- that's correct no but there's a isn't there a particular name in ios for apps like f- for this thing in development because like you have to have one of these screens which typically just shows somebody's logo or whatever when an app's been loaded out of memory i know there's a name for it because i've heard people say it but sparks is like really heavily branded with like clouds and it's, it's like love your email again storyboard yeah. yeah i think that's it or launch game, whatever it's called. But like Sparks is like r- branded with like a clouds and a tagline. Like you don't need to sell the app to me. Why don't you like clouds, I use it. Mike? I mean, huh? 
I mean, why don't you like clouds in your... It's not necessary. I mean, and it's like things like that where I'm like, why are you... Is it because it reminds you of London? Their branding is too heavy and it doesn't work. Like I said this before, email apps should be clean. They are professional environments. I don't mm. need clouds in my email app. Like we're good. But yeah, I, I, can't, I, I can't explain a lot of the frustrations that I have other than the way that I've said them. If this doesn't make any sense to you, then cool. Like email apps are very personal, I think, and I love some of the fe- I love the features of this application. I typically don't like the design of this application. So, but Spark two, if like you work with anyone, you should check out their email stuff because it's amazing. They're like they're sharing stuff so good. All right, Stephen, you're next now. Yes, you chose part of an app, so I'm going to choose a piece of hardware, uh, and I've gotten a lot of questions about how you should run the Mac OS beta. And my answer is an external SSD. So you don't have to partition your internal drive. So if something goes wrong, you just reboot back to high Sierra, you know, on your, on your MacBook or whatever. And I really like the Samsung T5 SSD. Uh, it's a replacement to the older Samsung T3, which is still for sale and you get it a little bit cheaper, but it's a little bit slower and uh, it's great. It's super small. Uh, it's lightweight. It runs cool. It doesn't get hot, even if you're running on it from hours. And it has USB-A and C cables in the box. In fact, the the connector on the SSD itself is USB-C. So you can do like straight USB-C all the way through to the SSD. And you can get a 250 gig drive for like 100 bucks on Amazon Prime. So I know that's not no money, but external SSDs have really come down in price. And 250 gigs mm-hmm. is way more than enough to do something like running a Mac OS beta or even just having some really fast... External storage. I carry one that's mostly empty when we travel. If I need to edit something and don't have a lot of room on my notebook, I can just put it there and it's fast enough to edit from in uh, in Logic. So uh, I'm a big fan of it. Uh, really, the size is what sells it. It is. You guys remember the uh, like the squatty iPod Nano? Remember that guy? Like the sort of small, sure. short, short one. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about. I mean, it's a little bit bigger than that, but it, that's like. Put that in your mind's eye. It's much closer to that than a full, like, two-and-a-half-inch external hard drive. And, of course, much faster and silent and cool. And, you know, if it falls out of your bag on, on, onto, uh, you know, the, the floor or something, it's not going to break because there's no spinning parts. Uh, I'm a big fan. So there'll be a link to that in the show notes. Uh, I've got several of them now. And I've had uh, – in fact, the one that I'm using for Mojave I've had for several years. And it's, it's always been rock solid. I'm next, and mm-hmm. I am going to pick a Windows app called... <laughs> this is really going downhill. This is what we're not <laughs> going... <sighs> Streamlabs OBS. Um, it is a... OBS is software that is open source that is used for game streaming. Like So for streaming a computer, it's, it's on the Mac as well. There's a company called Streamlabs who have taken that and have built their own tools on top of it. And it's amazing. It has lots of settings. It's really easy to customize. Um, it has lots of integrations, so you can set up cool animations and stuff when people give you money on Twitch. Uh, it makes it really... It, I love this. They have like specific screens. When you go live, it changes the whole interface, so it can show you just the things that you need to see rather than the configuration screen, which the standard OBS has. So if you ever do any streaming of any kind um, with video, I recommend... Well, one, you have to have a PC... Uh, which you probably do if you're serious about it. Uh, But I recommend checking out Streamlabs because it's a really nice uh, improvement on the standard OBS software. I really like it. It's awesome. I like it so much that I felt it was worth bringing 
here today, but it's a Windows app, so I'm not going to go into much more detail than that. <laughs> is this what we used for our live show? No, you used an app called Game Show, which is a Mac app. Streamlabs is just on okay. uh, Windows, and okay. you would know if you were using OBS because OBS is a dumpster fire on the Mac. Ah, gotcha. So my final pick is Drafts 5. Um, I mentioned this on the I show. I believe it's Cinco. Draft Cinco. Draft Cinco. Um, yes. Um, I believe that I, I believe I talked about this on the show a couple of weeks ago or last week. I mentioned it and then I had a link on Mac Stories a few days ago. I'm looking into Draft Cinco as a way to, um, as one of the possible apps where I will write my uh, iOS 12 review this summer, which, as I said, I will not start writing until July. So I, I still have a few. This almost feels like. Like it's a, it's an award, you know, like like an Oscar or like a Nobel Prize or something. Like, which is the application that receives the <laughs> glorious task of being the one? Like, all the apps are lined up and they're waiting, and the winner is right. And this is like this big award show that Federico hosts, where he announces the application that he's going to use. The winner well, is Apple kind Notes. Kind of like a punishment, <laughs> actually, because I'm going to bug the developer to add features well, that I need. But yeah. Don't be uh, nice to tell him that in advance. Mm. Give him give him the good feeling first. So draft Cinco uh, is interesting to me um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, the, um, there are some problems in Ulysses that um, were never fully fixed by the developers. Um, stuff like Ulysses just crashes on me uh, sometimes when I'm using it in split view. Like it, first of all, it hangs for like thirty seconds and it makes my iPad non-responsive. Uh, so I cannot tap in Safari. I cannot scroll in Safari on the right side. And then eventually Ulysses crashes and everything that's, crashes along with fine. Ulysses. Um, fine. Uh, and I reported these bugs. They were never fully fixed. And now there's some problems with iOS 12. So I'm like, hey, maybe I should look into something else. But also the, the bigger theme is that I miss the traditional markdown environment of editorial. But I don't want to use editorial because I don't think the app is going anywhere at this point. Um, and I feel like for my review, we've talked about this split process that I have of first of first the writing part and then moving into an editor. And I feel like maybe there's with Draft Synco, maybe there's a way to unify these two aspects and have a single environment where I can do both at the same time, um, or so that I don't have to switch context and apps sometime in September. Um, and this is the way that I used to do these reviews, actually. I used to write them in editorial, like the same text editor for a couple of months. And it worked great, and my life was normal, and I wasn't super stressed out. So maybe I should look into this again. And the features of Draft Synco that I'm considering uh, for this kind of usage are uh, primarily workspaces, which is a way to create uh, like a like a separate workspace in the app. So I can say, um, in this view, I just want to see the notes that have been tagged iOS 12, and these are the notes for my review. So I can I can switch between workspaces with one tap, and I can tie specific action groups to to the workspace. So for example, in my iOS 12 review workspace, I can default to loading my writing actions, stuff for like adding links or adding footnotes, you know, um, so writing related actions. Um, and one of these actions that I already built um, that I'm going to share on Clap Max Stories this week is a 
because I'm now doing draft sections for the workflow corner uh, section of the newsletter. Um, it's a single action that backs up a document in three different places. Um, so I can end up with a copy of the review in iCloud Drive, in Dropbox, and in Working Copy so that I have three different locations to back up the review that I'm working on. And also I've been working on, um, you know, this action in ba is based on the idea of I can keep separate notes and I can tag them with the same tag, but then I can also generate a single copy containing all these notes, which is basically what Scrivener would say, compiling the draft. Uh, I can do the same in Draft Synco, uh, thanks to JavaScript. So I'm looking into that, and um, the, the only problem that I have is that I still believe that uh, Draft Synco should be more accessible in terms of automation. Um, I think it's too reliant on JavaScript and on coding your own actions. I would love to see drafts take the path of editorial and workflow now shortcuts of more visual actions, more visual mo modules. Even stuff like setting variables. I don't think you can, you can do that with a visual action in drafts. You need to do that in JavaScript, which is crazy. And I can do it, and I'm going to do it if I need to. I don't think it's the best way to do it, though. I think... I'd love to see drafts um, took, take inspiration from editorial from that point of view. Um, that said, um, I love the fact that the development of Draft Synco is now extremely fast because of the subscription model that allows Greg Pierce to iterate on the app more quickly because people keep, keep paying for the app. Um, and I plan on reporting back on my experiments and my decision uh, in a few weeks on Connected, uh, or which is going to be our new show after the prompt. Um, it's going to be um, the prompt yep. is ending uh, today again, and we're going to have a show called Connected. It's still going to be the three of us, um, but it's gonna got a new name, new artwork. So if you're just coming into the prompt today, the prompt is over. I'm sorry. Um, we're and done. it's kind of uh, weird because we're starting connected at episode 199, mm -hmm. like it just, but that just felt like the right thing to do. Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, yeah. So that's my final pick. There you go. All right. Well, we've done it. We finished an episode of our podcast. Hooray. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the prompt is over. <laughs> if you want to find links to stuff we talked about today, you can do so in your podcast app of choice or on the website relay.fm slash connected slash 198. And while you're there, you can get in touch via email or you can find us all on Twitter. You can find Mike there as I-M-Y-K-E and Mike is the host of a bunch of shows. You can check those out at relay.fm slash shows. If you, uh, if you like this show, uh, I bet you will find some other stuff there that you would enjoy as well. You can find Federico on Twitter uh, as Vitici, V-I-T-I-C-C-I, -I -C -C -I, and he is the editor-in-chief of MacStories.net, which has a light and a dark mode. It's very, Whoa. very fancy over there. You can find me on Twitter as ISMH uh, and at 512pixels.net and 512pixels over on YouTube. And until... Our next episode, gentlemen, say goodbye. Arrivederci. Cheerio. Adios.